0: Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch. What a Dwayne play. Wise makes the catch. What a play by Wise. Mercy.
1: This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Welcome to the Shoeless Goat Podcast, quarantine edition. We are a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I am joined by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are you doing?
2: You know what? I cannot complain too much, Nick, even though I'm stuck outside and slowly, stuck inside. I'm sorry, i even forgetting what directions are these days. i uh, stuck inside and losing my mind. I recently won my re-election as mayor, maybe due to suppressed voter turnout, but hey, uh, win's a win, so I'll take it.
1: A win is certainly a win. We are also lucky enough to be joined by the slamming Sammy Norland, staying COVID-free, hopefully. Sam, how you doing?
0: I'm doing wonderfully out here in Iowa. Um, a lot of green space. I live in a town of 10,000 people, so it's very easy to uh, whatever personal social distance out here.
1: Yeah, we've been making fun of you for years, but now you got the last laugh. <laughs> Isn't that something? Oh yeah. So, as many have seen around social media, we're all quarantined. We're all bored. There's no sports on. But that doesn't mean we have to stop talking sports. Obviously, there's no baseball to talk about. We we dearly miss it. Uh, But what we have been noticing is there's brackets for everything out there on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Best pizza, best hot dogs, best movies, best rom-coms. Whatever you have it. We've got a bracket for you, too, here at SGP. We are calling it the Crosstown Centurion. What does that mean? We are compiling the top Cubs teams of all time by year, top White Sox teams of all time by year, and we are pitting them against each other in a computer simulation to find out who the best team is. We have a Cubs side of the bracket, 16 teams from all time. They will face each other, and the White Sox, 16 teams from all time will face each other, The winners of the Cubs and White Sox sides will face each other off in the championship to find out who the Crosstown Centurion is, the greatest Chicago baseball team of all time. I was in charge of compiling the 16 for the Cubs. The mayor, Patrick Bovard, has put the White Sox ones together. And we have Sam here to to commentate on how well we actually did put them together. But in any case... Pat, give us a rundown of how you came to, you know, mathematically putting your bracket together, seeding the top 16 teams.
2: Yeah, so for me, uh, I guess luckily you could say the White Sox have only had nine postseason teams in the history of the franchise, so that made the automatic bids a little bit easy. Uh, I had 11 automatic bids, those nine playoff teams, and two teams that would have made the playoffs if they were a thing in those years, which I'll get to uh, when we introduce those teams. That left five wildcard teams, so those were, I broke into two tiers. Uh, seeds 12, 13, and 14 were, uh, those were teams based off winning percentage that did not make the playoffs, but would have been on my li- that basically the next best Sox teams. Seeds 15 and 16 are what I call the mayor's choice. They were two wildcard teams I put in there based on the matchups, and I thought would be interesting contenders in this tournament. So those will be uh, the last two teams rounding out my field.
1: Beautiful, and I I was kind of similar in the sense, kind of not. There was more than 16 Cubs playoff teams. Some teams had to be left out. Uh, A lot of factors went into what I, you know, decided was important. One of the big things was playoff performance. Um, A wild card team that won a couple playoff series does better than, you know, uh, a really high win percentage team that fizzled out in the playoffs. So seating might not. Be you know equal to how they played in the regular season, but there's a method to my madness. It's further important to note that with these simulations, we're gonna get statistics and actual box scores of all of the games uh, that are played between these two um, historical teams. We're gonna get you know batting averages we're going to get home runs we're going to get you know eras everything so we're going to compile it together uh to decide a winner between the two teams it's going to be a best of seven we didn't think one game was enough to decide who the better team was nor should it be right so with this bracket is going to come you're going to get a lot of stats you're going to get a lot of uh, scores and you're going to get a lot of reasoning behind the best of sevens who gets to move on uh so every matchup is going to be a best of seven so nobody's getting left out um, but without further ado, Pat, we're going go to go 16-1. to we got to build that suspense to, to, to who we initially believe is the number one team. Uh, who do you have at 16? And mind you, these simulations aren't uh, who we think's going to win. It's not going to be a Twitter poll. It is the computer simulation deciding who wins every single individual game. So our input is only as important as where they're seated, not how we think they're actually going to do.
2: So you could say we're trusting the computers and stat folks and not the baseball people on this.
1: Yes, the pencil-pushing baseball moneyball nerds are deciding who is going to be the greatest Cubs and White Sox team of all time.
2: Eh, What a time to be alive, but we don't got baseball on the diamond, so this will have to do. Anyways, uh, I digress. I'm going to start off with my 16 seed. That would be the 2006 White Sox, the second act of, I guess you could call them a disappointment to the 2005 World Series champions. They came in third in the AL Central that year, albeit with 90 wins. Uh, The reason I have them in there is, Really, simply put, the offensive firepower they have. They hit the second most home runs in franchise history with 236. You had uh, Paul Canerico, Jim Tomey, Jermaine Dye, Joe Creedy, all hitting over 30 home runs. Even Juan Uribe hit 21. Um, so, a lot of good offensive players and still a lot of good pitchers left over from that 05 team. You got Freddie Garcia, Jose Contreras, Mark Burley, John Garland. So, I think overall that team makes for an interesting matchup. Uh, it's one of my uh, personal invites into the field.
1: All right, for my 16th seed, I chose the 1998 Cubs. They went 90-73. and 73. I think Sam's going to have a lot to say about this squad. Best known for the being the Sammy Sosa 66 home run team. He was in the home run race with Mark McGuire that was given credit for arguably saving baseball. They made the playoffs. They were wild card. It took them 163 games to do it because of the Brant Brown dropped ball, which we get to hear Ron Sano screaming about at the beginning of every episode. Um... What's important about this team is that had they not made the playoffs, Sammy kind of would have been forgotten because he did lose the home run race to Mark Wire, So it helped cement Sammy Sosa's legacy. And I think that's why they belonged in this tournament. They also had a, 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 a stellar Mark Grace and some good pitching going on there as well. So um, I think they have the ability to do some damage. What do you think? Can they get the upset over number one, Sam? Although we don't know who number one is yet. What makes this team dangerous?
0: The thing that makes this team probably the most dangerous 16 seed in possibly any tournament ever is, as you alluded to, the fact that Sammy Sosa, who had 66 home runs that year, is on it. But also, as you said, Mark Grace and possibly kind of an ace in a hole, uh, that was 1998 is uh, the year that Kerry Wood made his MLB debut and in his fifth ever start against the Houston Astros through his historic 20 strikeout game. So in a seven-game series, if he pitches two or three times, you could cobble together a bullpen, uh, maybe a Madison Bumgarner-esque run from a young Kerry Wood who got a, who still at that time had a lot of juice left in his arm. So that's what makes this team the most dangerous. 16 seed possibly ever.
1: Yeah, uh, UMBC, eat your heart out. Okay, we're going <laughs> to move on pretty quickly in our Bracketology episode. Pat, who do you have at 15 now?
2: So, yeah, my 15th seed is uh, a team, another one of my personal invites into the field. And this is a team uh, that I think is going to make a lot more sense when we get to their opponent. This is the 1977 uh, White Sox team, the South Side Hitmen, as they were referred to. Uh, At the time, hit a team record, 192 home runs, and were basically completely reliant on power. Um, Like I said, this is going to make a lot more sense when you see their opponent. Uh, I like storylines, and this is certainly going to be one of those. Uh, Chet Lemon was the best offensive player on that team with posting almost a six-war season. Uh, and Steve Stone, current broadcaster, was on that pitching staff throwing a, I guess, one of the better ERAs on the team of four two five. So basically a beer league softball team that just hit the ball out of the park, and that was all they could do. So uh, interested to see how the computers f- find that.
1: I would love to see how the computers would spit out results to a beer league softball game, let alone the Crosstown Centurion. <laughs> So that's exciting. Uh, My 15th seed is one that we all remember, unfortunately. Uh, The 2008 Cubs who won 97 games in the regular season, and then Manny Ramirez decided to play like the uh, an arguable Hall of Famer that he is sweeping the Cubs out of the playoffs. Um, it, I'm calling this one the next year is here team. I think 2007-2008, those signs were popping up everywhere on the north side in Iowa. Um, but it was a Derek Lee, Alfonso Soriano, Ryan Dempster show pretty much that year. Um, Carrie Wood in the bullpen, which was you know kind of an experiment. Um, but this team had a lot of hope. Uh, 97 wins doesn't is, you know, as big. Everyone thought it was the year. Um, but, you know, things happen. So it would have been, the you know, the 100 years since the 1908 championship, so that would have worked out pretty well. But it was not to be. Um, with that being said, this team still had a pretty nasty lineup. I know Aramis Ramirez was a big part of that one too. What do you remember from this 2008 team and why are they scary, Sam?
0: Uh, the thing that I remember from 2008 is I think they – and I could just be totally pulling a number out of thin air here, but I remember they got really hot in August. I think they won 21 or 22 games that year in August, and with I think both you and my possibly favorite double play tandem up the middle. uh, I'm wearing my Ryan Terrio jersey. I've got my my Mike autographed bat right next to me. It's bad radio, but uh, those two were... uh, you, You mentioned you kind of went through the names of the lineup, and yes, there were better players, but I think being a small kind of scrappy baseball player at that time, I really clung on to Mike Fontenot and Ryan Terrio.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. Fontenot being one of my all-time favorite Cubs, so (laughs) uh, for better or for worse. Yeah, I would have seeded this team higher had they won a damn playoff game, let alone a series, but I think 15 is appropriate because they choked. You know, that's just just that. All right, enough about my uh, scarred childhood. Yeah. we're going to go to 14 pat i love my 14 i hope your 14 holds up
2: yeah uh before i move on two points i want to address about your 15 seed one uh future white Sox legend manny (laughs) rubirez of course that out there and two uh, i had to throw that out there he would come to the south side only two years later but um i anyways uh the other point i want to talk about on that is 2008 was the The first time since 1906 that both Chicago teams made the playoffs, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about some more of those teams later in the bracket. Just a Uh, hunch. Call it some bracketology. uh,
1: I I think we will. Yeah, go on, Pat.
2: Anywho, uh, my 14th seed, the 1964 White Sox, a team I personally don't know a ton about. Uh, They were almost another playoff team, finished a game back of the Yankees for the AL pennant, uh, but it was not meant to be. Uh, Ron Hansen and Pete Ward led that team offensively with 20 home runs each, which back in that day, we must remember, was very good. Uh, Gary Peters was their best pitcher, 20 wins, uh, 2.3 ERA, and they had uh, a 2.72 team pitching ERA. So one of these not super powerful offensive teams, but good pitching as baseball seemed to be in the 60s. So uh, interested to see if they can do any damage against the number three seed. Spoiler alert, I don't think they will.
1: You know, we'll let the simulation do the talking. Uh, my number 14 is not my favorite to win, but it is by far my favorite team after doing the research. It is the 1885 Chicago White Stockings. It's almost unfair because the a, a White Sox or White Stockings <laughs> team has a better chance mathematically of winning this whole thing just because they have more participants. But when you hear some of the shit that comes from this team, you will be a, an immediate fan as well. So... They went eighty seven and twenty five, for those doing the math at home, is a seven seventy seven win percentage. Okay? They had a, p- a pitcher named John Clarkson who went fifty three and sixteen that year with a one eighty five ERA and a twelve point eight war.
2: <laughs> okay. You know what? It, go ahead. I was gonna say the one thing I'll remember about that is the sixteen losses. He had like sixteen of their twenty five losses.
1: That he had way That's too insane. many like you know what, when when the when the, uh, when the story is finished being told on John Clarkson, he's going to remember those 16 losses more than he's going to remember those 53 wins. I can almost guarantee that.
2: That's the damn truth. It I think gets... the story is said and done, though, saying how he played in 1885.
1: You know, we're still talking about him, so it might not. <laughs> um, the legend continues. Um, I think the best part about this team is it wasn't the World Series, then it was just the championship. Uh, I don't know exactly what they call it. They were playing the St. Louis Browns. And the series ends in a tie, three wins, three losses, and a tie. And they said, "Yep, yeah, that's it. It ends in a tie." I, I, that is the most nineteenth-century bullshit I've ever heard in my life. But I love every second of it. But the fact that they won seven, 77.7% of their games makes them extremely dangerous in a simulation that does not care about you know home run. It, it cares about you know individual simulations, individual games. They could win this whole thing and not a single person will know i mean i mean john clarkson's gonna pitch three or four of those games they had a three-man rotation (laughs) so i you know and you know he's got the rubber band arm so it's like he could he could pitch every day for this whole thing he could win every single game i
2: don't think they had gloves back then so are they gonna be allowed to play in the simulation with mitts
1: you know they're gonna do what they want that's, that's that's the thing I love the idea of these guys coming out leaving their factory jobs to come play against like the 2015 cubs or something like that like could you just and they're all like five foot two you know like, right. Sam what are what are your thoughts on the 1885 white
0: stockings again a team that not a lot of people know a lot about but uh coming out with sit on their faces they sure would have grit both uh, literally and figuratively uh, some, some of the names that managed by Cap Anson, baseball legend, Silver Flint was a catcher. Wash Williams was an outfielder, as was Billy Sunday. So King Kelly was also an outfielder on that team. But just some all-time names back in the 1880s.
1: Oh yeah, trust me. We are after doing the research on this. We are planning some possible uh, new segments for SGP once we're up and running about uh, about some of the names and some of our favorite uh, some of our favorite nineteenth century baseball player. So don't you worry. We're gonna get into that. Um tough to follow that up, Pat, but I'm gonna ask for your thirteen seed.
2: Yeah, so unfortunately, uh this team is from the back half of the twentieth century, so not as cool and exciting as the eighteen eighty five team. White Sox didn't even have a team then, but uh again I digress. A teen seed, the nineteen fifty four Chicago White Sox, a little bit before that Gogo Sox era, but another third place team in the American League. One thing I want to say about this 13th seed in 1954, so they were in third place. They won 94 games and were 17 games back of the Indians, who won 111 that year. So that's just some bad luck. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. But this team, this had a, they had a lot of good players in this team. You got offensively, Minnie Minoso hit an eight-war season with 19 home runs and a 320 batting average. Uh, you also had Chico Carisquell, uh future Hall of Famer Nellie Fox, uh, pitching uh, one of my favorite names in White Sox history, Virgil Trucks, with a 19 win, 2 7.9 ERA season, and a team ERA a tick over three at 3.05. So, another interesting team uh, in the spot. that, Like a lot of these underdogs, they get a tough draw, but uh, interested to see how this team makes it.
1: Yeah, I just love that the seating is more for just like fan debate and who's gonna play who but Mm -hmm. the simulation could do whatever the hell it wants whatever it it seems to to credit for being you know win worthy it's gonna do we're we're gonna see some of these weird teams you know
2: dude i've been i've been watching westworld and trust me the machines will do whatever they want yeah that is a factor we might not be accounting for
1: (laughs) yeah honestly uh the machines are doing a lot more for us than we're doing for them these days so um Anyway, we're gonna move on to my thirteenth seed. Is another disappointing Cubs team. The uh, relatively disappointing, I should say, the twenty seventeen Cubs. Um, they were trying to prove uh, future White Sox Dallas Keuchel wrong about the World Series hangover, and they did a pretty admirable, admirable job in doing so. Uh, Ninety two and seventy, still won the division. The division was a little down that year. Um, won the first round of the playoffs, and then lost to the Dodgers. Um, but this is still a World Series winning team's, you know, next year, much like the 2006 White Sox. Uh, the departure of Araldis Chapman was filled by a like Wade Davis, who did a really, really good job. So they didn't really drop off that much. He actually saved their bullpen more. And also the addition of uh, Jose Quintana mid-season, which you know we're seeing the effects of that now, was pretty much a sign to the fans that uh, this team wants to keep winning. So um, don't count this team out because. You know the World Series winning team. It didn't change up that much. So, um, any thoughts on twenty seventeen, Sam? Any, any you know thing that sticks out to you?
0: Uh kind of similar to two thousand eight. They got pretty hot down the stretch. Obviously, the World Series hangover lasted. It seems to be all the way through June and almost to the All Star break. But in July, this team went sixteen and eight. In August, seventeen and twelve. And in September and October, they went nineteen and ten. So, not how you start. Not it's how you finish. And even though this was a World quote-unquote World Series hangover team to still win 92 games after that with a really, really young core uh, is pretty admirable.
1: Yeah, I agree on all parts. So we're going to move on to everybody's favorite upset seed, the 12 seed, as, as as all March Madness fans will know. So five seeds look out. Who do you have at the 12, Pat, for the White Sox? Yeah, so
2: my 12 seed, I think, is going to be a pretty dangerous team. That would be the 1920 White Sox, the year after the Blacks Sox scandal. The one thing about this team is they had basically all of those players back, as I'll get into as I'm describing this team. So they were in a pennant race down the stretch, but like in the long tradition of White Sox teams that were not quite good enough, they faded near the end. Why did they fade? The Black Sox scandal broke in late September uh, 1920, and Charles Comiskey suspended all seven players that were still playing, and they dropped the last four games of the season to lose the pennant. And that effectively ended the careers of Shoeless Joe Jackson and others, which is why this team missed the playoffs. But up until then, they had all those players, a lot of Hall of Famers. Joe Jackson had a 7-5 war season with 12 home runs, 121 RBIs, and an absolutely absurd 382 batting average with a four forty four OBP. Uh, you had Eddie Seacott, Lefty Williams, uh, Red Faber pitching. Overall, a really good team that had a lot of those guys left over from the 1919 team. So I think this is a very dangerous seed. And the only reason they weren't higher based off my seeding is just because they didn't make the playoffs.
1: Shoeless Joe, namesake of the podcast. We got to root for him a little bit, don't we? Um, pour one out. Pour one out. Absolutely. Okay. Cubs number 12 seed is uh, a good illustration of the method of my seeding madness. I have the 2003 Chicago Cubs, which was a wild-card team, but because of how they performed in the playoffs, I had to bump them up. Um, Everyone knows this team as the Bartman team, but we're going to move on past that. We're going to look at what this team could actually do. Uh, Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, Matt Clement, young Carlos Embrano, and Sean Estes, your your five starters – Mike Remlinger, Kyle Farnsworth, oh yeah, still Sammy Sosa, still Moises Alou, Aramis Ramirez, Kenny Lofton. The names go on and on, which is why I think this team could be exciting. They have a lot to prove, too, obviously. So don't let the uh, 2003 Cubs get mad because they might take over. What do you think, Sam? I know this team you know, hurts you as much as it hurts
0: me. Well, and the the name Kenny, that was, I, I for whatever reason, as you said, Sammy Sosa, Moises Alou, all those names, Kenny Lofton was my favorite player to watch on that team. He was just at the kind of, his, I think it was his last good season, if I'm remembering correctly, and he was kind of the straw that stirs the drink. Even though the team only won 88 games in the regular season, uh, his kind of leadership and veteran presence really helped the team that really hadn't been to the playoffs for quite some time.
1: Yeah, uh, Kenny Lofton looked like he cared more than everybody else. So that's yep. why I think we kind of, you know, I liked him over Patterson and center. But I mean, oh, yeah. pretty equal players in my head. But in any case, 2003, look out five seed. I think I put them there kind of just to see if they can redeem themselves a little bit. So now we're getting a little bit further up. Um, these teams are starting to, you're starting to get a feel for how we're, we're putting these teams together. Pat, we're getting really close to some of your playoff teams, so let's get excited.
2: Okay, so this is the first, I guess, if we're going backwards, the first of my automatic bids. Uh, not for their own fault, though. This is the 1994 Chicago White Sox, who were in first place, but due to the play, uh, the strike that may or may not have been uh, uh, led by Jerry Reinsdorf as the ringleader, uh, the season was not finished. This team, I think, is going to be dangerous, uh, kind of like uh, what team was it that you mentioned earlier? The 1998, that, San- that dominant Sandy Sosa. This has the best version of Frank Thomas. He won the MVP that year, hitting 353 with a 487 on on-base percentage and a 729 slugging, 38 home runs, and 101 RBIs in 113 games. Jesus. The good could flat-out murder the baseball. They had good pitching with Jack McDowell, uh, Wilson Alvarez, few other guys, uh, all winning t- over 10 games. So I think this team is pretty dangerous as an 11 seed. It, the way I seeded it was because they didn't win a playoff series they were in the lower end of the automatic bids. But I also think that makes for a good matchup with who they're going to be playing. So I I think this is one of my dark horses.
1: They are the unknown quantity in something we're trying to quantify, which makes it exciting to see how they'll do. Because we didn't know how, how – I mean, them and the Expos that year, we just didn't know. Five, yep. So but... I'm, I'm interested to see
2: how the machines think of that one.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the 11 seed for the Cubs – going as far back as, not as far back as 1885, but the 1932 Chicago Cubs, 90-64 and that year, better known for getting swept by the Yankees and Babe Ruth and the bomber calling his shot at Wrigley Field. Um, Look out for a guy by the name of uh, Lon Wernicke. He was three years younger than another seating I have them at, but the guy was an absolute stud. And also, you have to imagine that they want a little bit of payback for getting absolutely spanked in the World Series. Um, the 35 team will be mentioned later has a lot of the same guys, but, uh, that's my 11 seed. Do you, do you know anything about the 1932
0: team, Sam? Not a whole lot. Um, besides the fact that apparently, uh, Charlie Grimm and Rogers Hornsby shared managing duties.
1: I can't even imagine how that would work.
0: (laughs) Imagine (laughs) like Lou Pinella
1: and Joe Madden (laughs) trying to like manage a game together.
2: Forget that. I Let's just merge to. the teams and get Lou Pinella and Ozzie Guillen out there in the same dugout.
1: Oh my God! Could you imagine? Well, lose on lose on Marquee Sports Network now. They it's like they, <laughs> I feel like they have like a like a buzz like a bark collar around his neck. So in case he says something stupid, they'll zap <laughs> him. Okay, we are moving on to our top ten seeds. Um, Pat, top ten, number ten White Sox yep. team. Who do you got?
2: Uh, okay, so number ten is the. I guess worst of the playoff teams. And that is the last time we witnessed playoff baseball at 35th and shields. I am of course talking about the 2008 American league central champions. Uh, They won that year in 163 games with the blackout game. And they got an MVP like performance out of Carlos Quentin until he tragically got injured in a bat punching incident that broke his wrist Uh, self-inflicted, but still tragic. Nonetheless had 35 home runs and over five war at that point. Uh, Jim Tomey and Jermaine Dye both had 30-plus home runs. Pitching, you had an absolute supernova season from John Danks, who had 6.4 war that year. As a, I think he was 23 years old and basically got himself paid for the rest of his career with that performance against the Twins. So you got some interesting pitching there. Javier Vasquez had a 200 strikeout season, and you still had prime Mark Burley. So I think they're an interesting, I think they're an interesting option there at the 10 seed, but as far as the playoff teams go in White Sox history, they're definitely on the uh, lower end, but there's so few of them that I'll take them anyways.
1: Yeah. I mean, we saw how they played in a one game scenario and yep. it paid off for him. So let's see if they could stretch it out. Seven, maybe pull an upset. Um, In a similar vein to my 11 seed, the 32 will be the 1935 Cubs. It's going to be a lot of the same guys, but they added a lot of star power afterwards. Uh, Another World Series losing team, I believe this was to Detroit. Seems like Detroit is always in the World Series back then. But the 1935 Cubs went 154. Uh, they had a 10-time All-Star by the name of Billy Herman, who led baseball with 227 hits, and 57 of those were doubles, accruing a seven-war. And they also had a fellow by the name of Augie Galan, who led the team with a three ninety nine batting average. Um, and then three of their starters had 240-plus innings. So... I feel like this team has some serious star power that no one really knows about. And with this small sample size of a best of seven series, if you can get three dominant pitching performances and, you know, a guy batting three ninety nine in the, in the middle of your lineup, they're really dangerous. Anything about the thirty five Cubs that sticks out
0: to you there, Sam? Well, that sounds like you'd almost want their entire lineup on a fantasy team. Obviously, it didn't exist back then, but innings eaters, guy hitting 399, 57 doubles for a guy who has 227 hits. Uh, That's also the last team prior to uh, 2016 that won um, 100 games for the Cubs. And that season featured a 21-game win streak from September 4th through September 28th.
1: All great stuff. And if they get 21 wins in this bracket, they win the whole damn thing. So I'm just saying. Like if they you get 20, not, <laughs> the, <laughs> So you, you can never count that out. All right, we're in the top nine now. Pat, who you got at nine for the White Sox?
2: Yeah, so a nine seed is another interesting pick. Um, as I was going through these White Sox teams, there's two constants that a few of these teams had that are, that are X-Factors. One is prime, or I guess late prime, Shoeless Joe Jackson, the other is Prime Frank Thomas and 1993. Happens to have one of those too. Uh, they have Frank Thomas's first MVP season when he hit 317 with 426 OBP, 41 home runs, a six-plus WAR season. You also had Lance Johnson getting over six WAR. Robin Ventura was on that team. Uh, Bo Jackson, Ozzie Guillen, a lot of big names in the field. Pitching, you had uh, Jack McDowell winning the Cy Young with 22 wins and a 3.37 ERA. Um, You also had Wilson Alvarez putting up a pretty good performance. So basically a lot of the same things I said about uh, 1994, except this team actually made the playoffs. So I think any team that has prime Frank Thomas is a threat to advance in here. So I'm expecting the 1993 White Sox to put a pretty good fight there in the first round.
1: I believe it. Uh, 2015 is the nine seed for the Cubs. Probably one of my favorite in recent memory. Um, Obviously not as exciting as 16 because they didn't get the win, but this was an unexpected good Cubs team. We were told that the window for championship contention was going to start in 2016 and yet the Cubs won 97 games which was only good enough for third place in a stacked NL Central where the Pirates won 98 and the Cardinals won 100. Now I have them higher up than a third place team should be because they went and beat those Pirates in a one game playoff and then they went and beat those Cardinals in a best of five. So that gave them a bump. Playoff performance is a big part of my seating. Um, what was exciting about this team? You name it. Expect not expecting them to win, uh, you had, uh, and they did. Chris Bryant with a Rookie of the Year, uh, Jake Arrieta putting the greatest second half of baseball pitching I've ever seen in my life. I think anybody's ever seen. And to cap it off with a no hitter against the Dodgers right before the playoffs were about to start, um, beating two rivals and uh, you know running into a pitching buzzsaw that was the Mets losing those four games. But it was a it was a nice sign for things to come, which is why I put. A third-place team in the ninth seed ahead of some World Series uh, ahead of some World Series teams. I know you got something to say about 2015, Sam.
0: That's basically for me when watching the Cubs got fun again, and uh, it sounds weird, but I'm kind of harking back to some tweets that said, "Oh, hey, we started to see these throughout 2015 and 2016. Four years ago today, five years ago today, here's here was the Cubs lineup. Names like Micah Hoffner, guys who." were out of the league by then Brett Jackson, whereas the 2015 team, especially when the lineup kind of started to get stacked and when we, or when the Cubs basically had gotten good a year, a year earlier than expected uh, that was again, one of the most fun uh, baseball seasons I've ever had the pleasure of watching. And the, the Kyle Schwaber home run against the Pirates, as well as I think Kyle Schwarber, was he at the home run over Jason Hayward uh, that landed on the top of the scoreboard? Yes. That was was when Jason Hayward apparently decided that he was Jordan the Cubs or whatever, and that maybe hasn't turned out as well as we'd hoped, but those were some memorable moments. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Jake Arrieta. He was an absolute horse that second half, and we got to witness history
1: absolutely and it, also they had 10 walk-off wins i think something like that they mm-hmm. just kept winning in the ninth so and extras so it was a lot of excitement to watch starlin castro with his walk up song that the whole stadium would clap to, <laughs> things like that so y- you don't forget those things they have a special place in my heart and they have a special place in my bracket but we are moving on to the middle of the bracket it's starting these are starting to be the favorites in their matchups as opposed to the underdogs in the matchups pat who do you have at eight for the white Sox?
2: So yeah, to preface this a little bit, the thing I like about a lot of these White Sox playoff teams is that they have like catchphrases or nicknames that were around them. You know, two thousand five had "Don't Stop Believing," nineteen eighty three was "Winning Ugly," nineteen seventy seven not a playoff team, uh, but the South Side Hitmen, uh, two thousand we had "The Kids Can Play." So another Frank Thomas team, not quite his uh his prime, a little bit past that, but he still put up forty three home runs and one hundred and forty three RBIs with a three twenty eight batting average. So you know a modest season out of the big hurt. Uh, You also had a young Paul Canerco with 21 homers. Maglio Ordonez hitting a stride with a 917 OPS in 32 homers. They hit 216 home runs as a team. Pitching wasn't great. Mike Soraka had a pretty good year. Uh, Mark Burley made a few appearances out of the bullpen. And John Garland uh, was in the rotation. I believe he made about 15 starts that year as a 20-year-old. Ultimately, they got just swept right out of the ALDS by Seattle, so they're not very memorable. But... Uh, the 2000 team, like a lot of these White Sox teams, had some pretty good offensive firepower. I, them versus 1993 is interesting because they both have Frank Thomas, but 1993 has the monster version of him instead of the slightly less monstrous version of him. So that's I think that'll be a good eight-nine matchup, especially because it'll be hitting one person against himself, which is always a tough battle.
1: Truly, <laughs> I feel like the you know they they say it's a mental game. Well, imagine if that mental <laughs> aspect of the game you know, manifested itself in physical form. Terrifying stuff, folks. Hopefully uh, that
2: doesn't hopefully that doesn't confuse the computer simulation. Oh no, the computer I don't know. The simulation wild... is on it. <laughs> another wild card <laughs> we might not have considered.
1: What if the the computer just explodes cause Mark Burley <laughs> is is going up against himself or something, you know, like um Well but...
2: like well like the eighteen eighty five championship. It's a tie. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. You you love to see the ties. Um <laughs> especially when you're playing your rivaled St. Louis Browns. Uh, okay. Ooh, the Browns. The Browns. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, ninth, uh, the eighth seed going up against our, my loved, beloved 2015 team is the 1908 team. This was the third of three consecutive World Series appearance teams and arguably the third... Best of the three, um, with 99 wins. Um, I actually just wrote down, not as dominant as 07 or 06. Um, but I will say that um, there's still a lot there. Uh, five of the six starting pitching on the staff, uh, one, well, one had an ERA under two. So five of the guys on the team had a ERA under two, led by three-finger Mordecai Brown. Um, we're going to hear his name a couple more times before all is said and done. I like the matchup against 2015 because this is going to be the exact matchup we're looking for to decide what the computer wants is the 2015 team with all the you know the, the heavy hitters uh gonna be the team that takes over or is it gonna be the dead ball team that singles you to death uh i mean they didn't win 99 games for nothing and it was the last time the cubs won the world series before 2016 so this was the official beginning of the drought albeit they didn't know it sam what are your thoughts on all
0: this um, we'll obviously get into 1906 uh, 06 and 1907 later, but those were teams that featured the Tinkers-Evers-to-Chance to double play combination, um, and as you already mentioned, mordecai 3 finger brown uh, Fun fact about the 1908 team, the starting pitcher uh, for opening day was named Orville Overall.
1: I love it. I love it. Oh Every second God. of it. I was looking up names today, and we're going to save this for another episode, but there's just – not only are there great names – for these baseball players, they all died in hilarious ways. Is as, as, <laughs> as horrible as it is. I've got some stories. We're gonna get into that later, though. Trust me. SGP has taken an immediate interest in 19th century baseball. Trust me. When when there's nothing else to do. So Pat, we are in our top seven right now. Uh, after that grim undertaking, uh, who do you have as your seven seed to face off against your, I believe, ten seed?
2: Yeah, so facing off against the 2008 AL Central champions are the 1983 winning ugly White Sox. So the team that immortalized those beautiful uh, Sunday jerseys we wear now, the white the white jerseys with the blue stripe across the chest that says Sox. This is a pretty damn good baseball team. Um, the first playoff team since the 1959 World Series, so it was a long time coming. A lot of energy around that team, and honestly a lot of people, the generation above us, that's still like the team they think of when they're like, that's like, that's a damn good baseball team on the south side. So... Uh, not a lot of success since then outside of a couple of years, so they still get remembered well. What that team had was a couple Hall of Famers in Carlton Fisk and Harold Baines on the offensive side, and then you also had uh, Ron Kittle, I believe that was his rookie year, putting 35 home runs in an absolute offensive explosion. Pitching, you had Lamar Hoyt winning 24 games. Uh, a couple other good performances, 20-game winners, uh, a team that's remembered like I said, w- winning ugly. It wasn't the prettiest brand of baseball, but they got the job done, and it won them 99 games. Unfortunately, they ran into a buzzsaw of the Baltimore Orioles in the playoffs, but uh, one of those immortalized Sox teams that has their own catchphrase to to boot. So, uh, 1983, that's my seventh seed.
1: Uh, put some respect on that name, Ron Kittle. Also, the soon-to-be manager of your Schaumburg Flyers. Ooh. I, I have his Schaumburg Flyers bobblehead, so, you know. I'm just saying, you can't you can't talk about Ron Kittle in his full entirety if you're not talking about the Schomburg Flyers.
2: No, yeah, I mean, I think that was also, from everything I've heard from him, that was the one year he was, like, really, truly healthy. So, not quite like Mickey Mantle, where he blew out his ACL in his first season. Uh, so, I'm not going to say he was Mickey Mantle, but, you know, who knows what could have been later in the 80s.
1: Absolutely. Okay, seventh seed uh, is the kind of part of the uh, the lure of Cubs uh, fanaticism and, and mystery and superstition is the 1945 Cubs, best known for this crazy man bringing his pet goat in and cursing the Cubs to never win the World Series. Um, what we don't talk about is Stan Hack hitting 325, and the entire pitching staff was double digits in the win column. Um, they went seven games in that World Series, which is a lot better than some of those other World Series teams could say. So I stuck them in the uh, number seven seed, and it was because they were the last World Series team before the. You know, the Cubs made it in 2016, so they're a big part of the history, too. Uh, 98 wins is nothing to sneeze at. So uh, I'm sure you got a little bit something to say there, Sam, about the, the 45 cursed Cubs.
0: Well, and again, they lost to those darn Detroit Tigers, which we've mentioned a few times in, what, 1932, 1935, maybe. Uh, and did you I, – I might be making something completely up, but did you have a story um, – a blog that maybe you had written a few years ago about the 1945 Cubs
1: neck? Oh, you put me on the spot. Yes. Uh, that, that was, uh, that was my grandfather's uncle who decided he could not attend a baseball game without bringing his favorite goat with him. So, uh, <laughs> Shula's goat, the goat is in my bloodline, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately who's to say, but yeah, um, I was trying to avoid that, but you put me on the spot, and I don't feel like we're <laughs> re-recording this episode. So here we, so here we are. Um, anyway, mo- moving on before I lose my job with the Cubs. Um, we're going to go to the the sixth seed. Um, I believe sixth seed and on is where everyone expects to see a winner from, but who's to say when the computers get to judge? Pat, who do you have at six?
2: Yep. Yeah, so six is a very memorable team in White Sox history and indirectly had an impact on the 2005 team. Uh, which team is that you asked? Well, let me play a little soundbite from our buddy, the YouTube.com to give you a little bit of a heads up here. So what you just heard is a little snippet of Let's Go Go White Sox by Captain Stubby in the Buccaneers, the fight song of this team, the 1959 American League champions, the well 1959 White Sox, the first team to go back to the World Series or the postseason, for that matter, since the 1990 Black Sox scandal, finally erasing 40 years of wrong uh, and getting back to the promised land. Unfortunately, they uh, got uh, blown off the face of the earth by the Dodgers in six games. But this was still a pretty damn good team. They had three gold glove winners. Uh, Hall of Famers on this team included El Lopez, the manager, uh, Luis Aparicio, Nellie Fox, early win, who won the Cy Young. Nellie Fox was the MVP that year with a three oh six batting average and two home runs, something I don't think you'll ever see again, a six-war season. Um, and then Luis Aparicio was the uh, second in the MVP voting, so they had a very dominant team that season, um, and really one that got the White Sox back on the map after a really long time spent in baseball, well, I, I don't want to say hell, but... You know, somewhere between there and Purgatory for the better part of 40 years leading into that season.
1: Yeah, if you would have asked me just by playing that song what year I thought you were about to pick, I would have said like 1925 based on how ridiculous <laughs> right? that song stuff So,
2: So the, the thing about that song that I find interesting is it surfaced in 2005 because during one game they were like, I, th- I think the story goes, they were cleaning out the press box and some dude found this wreck. Just in the press box, it was like, well, let's play this in a throwback game where they were wearing the throwback jerseys, and AJ hit a walk off in that game, and it, when they were playing the song, and then it just stuck. So they played, they pretty play, much play that at the ballpark, even still today. So came out over, but an immortal uh, piece of art from Captain Stubby and the Buccaneers. God.
1: There's just so many good names in this podcast, and it's just going to keep going. Okay, the number six seed for the Cubs is my dark horse, my official dark horse to win the entire thing, the 1969 Cubs, which is the team that all of our dads and maybe some of our older dads and some of our older uncles uh, won't shut up about as the greatest team. A lot of our dad's favorite players played for them. The team went 92-70 and, and is considered one of the greatest teams to not, make the playoffs they were the greatest second place team of all time so they would have been at the bottom of bovard's bracket of teams that didn't make the playoffs uh but should have yeah triggered i know think about this team four hall of famers hall of fame manager billy williams ernie banks ron santo fergie jenkins manager leo derosher you're gonna have five hall of famers four playing one managing in this simulation i think they could run win this whole damn thing and God knows they want it because, you know, they're still all all these guys of the ones that are alive are still part of the team and got to see the 2016 team, you know, win the whole thing. And some would argue that this team is still better than them. So they've got a little chip on their shoulder. I know Sam's got a lot to say. I know Papa Norland has a lot to say about the 1969 Chicago Cubs.
0: Yeah, I, I texted him for some uh, advice on some of the teams throughout the 60s and 80s and even the late, uh, late 1990s, um, but he said not only was 1969 statistically one of the best teams never to make the playoffs, according to Jim, Jim or Metrics, uh, 1969 was statistically <laughs> one of the best teams not to win a World Series. Ernie Banks at first, Ron Sano at third, Don Kessinger at short, the good Hunley behind the plate. You mentioned Billy Williams. He said in a long series, Fergie Jenkins would have pitched two, of, two for sure, Maybe three games. So as you said, dark horse to win the entire thing. It'd make a lot of our dads, uncles, older relatives happy uh, to see that 1969 te- team finally get a crack uh, at real glory. And that, even though my dad was only four or five years old at that time, his that his disdain for the Mets has only grown stronger throughout the years. He I I've told the story before uh, of one time one of my buddies was wearing a Mets hat over. Uh, o- over to my house, and I lived right across from my middle school. My dad made my buddy walk back, put the hat in his locker before he was allowed back in the house.
1: That is a classic dad move, and I support it wholeheartedly.
0: Oh yeah, big time!
1: I, I just want them to win the whole thing because I want to tell the guys that are around the clubhouse all the time that we d- we decided they're the greatest team of all time. But <laughs> we'll see. I know I know Billy will be a fan of that. All right, we for-, are on- for the record. Go ahead, Pat.
2: For the record, that is the, the... Is that the team they blame not making the playoffs on a cat walking across the, the on-deck circle?
1: Uh, I, I believe that is it. and it, in front was it of Ron Santo. In front of Ron Santo, the black cat, yes. Um, you know, we're big on okay, superstition. So two on right.
2: animals uh, that were... Just wanted that on the record.
1: <laughs> well, well, you know, if we Fair. forget about that fact, we'll have the court reporter read it back to us, okay? Is that good, Pat?
2: Yeah. I, just, I had a note of it for posterity. Of course, of course.
1: Um... So, here comes the five seed, the the most uh, most possible for an upset if we're going by history of brackets. So, who do you have at number five,
2: Nick? When I say to you who is one is one of the early pioneers of American League greatness, what do you say? Well, let me cut you off. There. What <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say gonna is say the first was. team to win the American <laughs> League, the 1901 Chicago White Stockings. The second iteration of the team, not the Cubs, this is the White Sox. Uh, their first season in Major League Baseball, first season in the American League. They won the American League. That's pedigree. Uh, not really much else to say besides that. Led the league in runs scored. They won the pennant by four games, offensively led by a few good names, uh, specifically Fielder Jones and Dummy Haig. Uh, Fred Hartman also was a good hitter on that team. Uh, pitching, they got some good contributions from uh, Clark Griffith, who had a 5-9 war season. Unfortunately, that year there was no World Series because the uh, National League elites refused to recognize the American League as a legitimate competitor, so the World Series would not be played until 1903 in a disgusting act of discrimination. As uh, they overall, should. I'm okay, just saying. you know what?
1: They tried to they're change not, the not, rules afterwards and everything, so we should have never let them in in the first place.
2: Hey, well, I, you know, I'm not here to talk about the past. Um, <laughs> yes, I, you are. About... <laughs> Past teams, but I digress. And so no playoffs, no World Series, but still American League champions. Banners fly forever, and that's up at 35th and Shields. Five seed, 1901 White Sox.
1: You know, I just wish they were clever enough to come up with their own name, much like the Cubs did with after the White Stockings with the Colts and, of course, the Orphans. You know, you could be a little bit more clever than, than White Stockings, Pat. That team's already been used and forgotten.
2: At least when we got a name, we stuck with it. We didn't try to keep rebranding ourselves to get people interested.
1: Are you still called the white stockings right now Pat?
2: It was actually a uh, newspaper shortening to fit on the bio, on the title lines. So technically did they,
1: yes. Did they have to shorten the C, the CKS at the end to an X2? I digress as we often do. Okay, the
2: number 5. Well apparently C- they were once called the stocks. So I I I wish I would be Pretty cool.
1: Anyway, moving on, because God knows we need to. Uh, number five seed for the Cubs is the 1989 team, another uh, fatherly favorite. This was the 93 and 69 team. Um, this was a later Ryan Sandberg team, not his famous season, uh, but not his MVP season, I, I should say. But this was the emergence of a young Greg Maddox and a young Mark Grace. So you have the uh, uh, a division winning team at 93 games. Uh, lost against the Giants and avoided a earthquake-riddled World Series, so at least some sort of superstition uh, is on their side. Uh, but this '89 team—you put Greg Maddox out there, you know, a young Mark Grace—anything could happen. I had them at the five seed. Uh, I had them a little higher than I thought I would when I first started this, but I think the more I think about them and the more I look at their roster, the more I'm starting to agree that it was the right call. What do you think, Sam?
0: Well, yeah, and Andre Dawson was an all-star that year, as was Rick Sutcliffe, and Mitch, Mitch Williams was too. Uh, as you mentioned, the rookie of the year, and Jerome Walton, and um, just a pretty stacked lineup. And may, as you said, maybe you wouldn't think traditionally of a five seed, but you read those names off and you see that they won 93 games en route to uh, an NLCS appearance, um, and it makes more sense.
1: Beautiful. Now the top four. Moving on. Pat, who is your four seed team?
2: Yeah, so now this is where we start getting into the real the the power hitters of the tournament, so to speak. Uh, it, not technically, literally, because a lot of these teams were from the early 1900s, where the home run I think was still considered dishonorable. So
0: uh, <laughs>
2: you'll have to use your imagination a little bit. But my four seed, the 1919 Black Sox uh, team, who lost in the World Series, obviously, because they uh, they allegedly allegedly threw it. Um, they lost in. Five to three in the World Series because apparently that year was a best of nine. I don't remember why that was, so you're not going to get that out of me. But anyways, uh, leading the team that year offensively, of course, was Shoeless Joe Jackson, the man who Babe Ruth modeled his swing after. Uh, he hit 331 with a 422 OBP, a massive seven home run season. Uh, Eddie Collins hit 319 over at second base. They had the highest scoring offense in the league. Uh, pitching, you had a 20 a famous 29-win season from Eddie Seacott, who was allegedly benched so he wouldn't get his 30-win bonus. To go along with those 29 wins, he had a 182 ERA, a 9-6 war. And this was when he was 35. So, dude was still hurt, I guess not hurling because they threw a lot slower then, but guy was still dealing even then. Uh Lefty Williams put up 23 wins. So despite them throwing the World Series, and about that. I would like to say that a team that intentionally lost a world series, but still won three games and it had to be pretty freaking good. So they're a pretty dangerous four seed, I'd say.
1: Definitely. Uh, And of course, this is all allegations. We don't know for sure, you know, of Of course. course. Um, but I have to agree with you if, if it's so easy to lose on purpose, but to win three games is, you know, that's a talented team, uh, but not a world series winning team, as you said. Um, but this uh, number four seed for the Cubs is a World Series winning team, the first of two in a row, the or yeah, the first of two wins in a row, I should say, the second of three appearances in a row. Uh, the 1907 team, which won 107 games, again, losing to the Detroit Tigers. I'm just wondering why we don't hate the Tigers more. Obviously, they're not in the National League, um, so we don't see them that often. But I feel like if dads could hate the Mets, I feel like grandparents should probably hate The Tigers. I don't know. In any case, um, not as pretty much the same uh, roster as the 08 and the 06 team that we still have yet to talk about. Hint, hint. Um, But I had to put them at the four seed because they did have, you know, less wins than even though the 1906 team did not win the World Series, which also we'll get into. um, That was the much better team of the three teams. So I think the best of the 1906 through 1908 teams was the team that, in fact, did not win the World Series. So we have uh, the 1907 team at uh, the four seed, and we'll get into more of the machinations of their roster when we talk about the 1906 team. Sam, I know you've just been dying this whole day to talk about the 1907 Chicago Cubs, so have at it.
0: The thing that impressed me most about them is that they uh, won the pennant by 17 games ahead of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and uh, they won the 1907 World Series, won four games to none, but it wasn't a sweep. Because as we mentioned in eighteen eighty five there was a tie in there. So they went four oh and one in the World Series in five games.
1: Oh yeah, okay. I had them losing Wait, the what? Tiger so I had them losing to the Tigers in my explanation, but they beat the Tigers. So we got our early revenge. Maybe this started the ball rolling. Of the Tigers really gearing up for the Cubs. But yes, there, there was there was a tie in one of the games. It was a, it was a be- first to four wins, but it's not like the Cubs won four and then they played another and tied. They had I think won the first two or first three games, tied the fourth, and then you still have to get four wins at a best of seven. So yep. that's why they did. Makes that. sense. Makes sense.
2: So so that team that Cubs team needed five games to win the World Series. <laughs>
1: They did. Uh, they didn't have, you know, you know. We're not gonna get into it, Pat. We'll let the computers do the talking because the talking had heads... five
0: games. <laughs> I, I I teed that up way too perfectly. I'm sorry.
2: Oh my God! The t- so they needed five games. Speaking of teams that hold uh, on, I, hold li- on.
1: 1907 is gonna have a lot to say, and I would love to see 1907 end up against 05 in the finals, only to win in four games bank it
2: speaking of speaking of teams that only needed four games to win a series uh my three seed is the 2005 chicago white Sox, the greatest team of my lifetime and still when i peaked at age nine uh the 2005 team is i believe one of i think six teams in major league history to go wire to wire they only needed 11 games to win uh the world series in the playoffs that's kind of funny i thought you needed uh more games than that but apparently you only need 11 to win uh in the playoffs. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I I want to tell the truth. They needed 12 games. They lost one to the Angels, had to be fair. Um, But anyways, that team, they talk a lot about the small ball, but they also had 200 home runs, which back in that uh, day and age, you know, all the way back in 2005, was pretty damn good. Paul Konerko hit 40, Jermaine Dye hit 31. The interesting thing I found about this team, though, is that they didn't have a single person hit 300. The closest to that was Scott Pasednik with a 290 batting average. Uh, So it was a little bit interesting. Uh, on the pitching side, Mark Burley obviously was the ace of that staff starting the All-Star game. He went 16-8 and with a 3.12 ERA. And then, of course, you had the horses of uh, Freddy, sweaty Freddie Garcia, John Garland, Jose Contreras rounding out the order. Uh, so, obviously, favorite team of my lifetime. That's easy to say. Um, but they're the three seed. The way I did the top three seeds, they're the three White Sox teams that won the World Series. Spoiler alert. And it goes by winning percentage, which the White Sox in 05 with 99 wins were the third best team. So, yeah. That's my three seed.
1: So just a quick question. Do you think the simulation um, accounts for drop third
2: strikes that weren't drop third strikes? Uh-oh. Uh, I believe those are intangible, so I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, but it was a drop third strike. I was at the game. I saw it from the upper deck.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, moving on to the Cubs three seed is the 84 Cubs. Um, We talked a little bit about this squad in the 89 team, but this was the the better version of them, most would argue. 96 wins, 65 losses. This was the Ryan Sandberg MVP year. He also won the batting title and the Silver Slugger. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe won the Cy Young, and Lee Smith dominated the ninth, as he often did, with 33 saves. Um, They ran into a Buzzsaw of Padres team uh, with a Tony Gwynn that batted like, you know, if you ask my dad day by day, how Tony Gwynn did in that playoff series he goes from he bet at 350 to he bet at 400 to he bet at 600 so it really just depends on what day you catch him on how well Tony Gwynn did in that day in that series but the Padres uh ended up you know beating the Cubs making it the World Series it was not to be but uh pretty much the dad favorite is the 84 Cubs um so I'm gonna throw I don't toss it to Sam because I think uh Papa Norland has a little bit more to say about this
0: squad yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know enough to uh, fact-check this, so I'll just read it verbatim. 84, Sandberg and Dernier were the best 1-2 batting order in baseball. The old guys, who should be in the Hall of Fame, kept them in the hunt until Sutcliffe showed up. If not for NBC taking away home field for the Cubs, this is where you might need to fact-check it. Tin uh, <laughs> is never a hero or for Sutcliffe is a more one-sided trade than Brock for Barillio. That was also when Den- when Eckersley was a drunk and his name, and his nickname was Upper Deck Eck. So there's a lot to unpack in that statement. You may have to read it a few times. I'm just not sure I understand it even after reading it out loud. But uh those are Papa Norland's thoughts.
1: On, I knew uh, the Eck. Ac- yeah, the Eck Ac- Eckersley was a starter at that time drank himself out of Chicago and they said you know what we don't need you for six innings we only need you for one and became a Hall of Fame closer so probably the best thing that ever happened to him was the 84 season uh, when he fizzled out here but in any case we'd love to have his input on the uh, our three-seeded 84 Cubs Pat top two now I mean you kind of gave us a little bit of spoilers but that's okay we we, we've come uh we've come far enough let's get into it
2: so two seed here. I really like this matchup. If you remember from a little bit earlier in uh, this episode, my 15 seed was the 1977 Southside Hitmen. This team is the exact opposite. This is the 1906 World Series champion who uh, I, I can't really read my notes here. But I think it <laughs> says they beat the Cubs in the World Series that year. They, they did. Uh, wow. Crazy. Um, the Hitless Wonders. Uh, so why were they the Hitless Wonders? So despite having the lowest batting average as a team in professional baseball, they won the World Series, which is insane. I think they hit like 230-something as a team. Uh, they had no starter over 279. How did they win? Well, for one thing, they won 19 games in a row late in the season to get into first place, and they stole 216 bases as a team. So uh, oh my God. <laughs> back in that day, that'll do it. Uh, pitching, that was the other part. 32 shutouts as a rotation, which led the league a two one three team ERA uh, led by Ed Walsh and Doc White, each with sub-two ERAs. So they couldn't do anything on the uh, uh, at the plate besides play small ball, but they could pitch the hell out of the ball. So uh, they were able to cruise to a World Series over the heavily favored 116-win Chicago Cubs from that year, which I believe has only been tied by the Seattle Mariners in 01.
1: Uh, I don't know about – I think, yeah, wins 116, but I, I, I just have – this is the – this team is the Virginia basketball, right? They have no offense whatsoever. They have amazing defense. Defense wins
0: championships.
1: Yeah, we'll see if hey, the simulation know. thinks so.
2: Look what happens when you control the clock in baseball, man! I've said it for years.
1: <laughs> so I look at all the stats from like the 1800s because I was just re- I was in this rabbit hole today, and like nobody had stolen bases. Was the stolen base invented that year? Because I feel like if the Sox were the first one to do it, maybe that's why they stole so many bases
2: you never know charles comiskey might have invented it to sell more ads or whatever i don't know he always a cunning businessman
1: i just love and the old owners of these teams were like this was just their side gig so that they could sell like more circus tickets and things like that like i just love that (laughs) okay um this is where we kind of matched up here pat number two seed the 1906 cubs 116 wins to 36 losses couldn't put them number one because they lost to the white Sox of all teams, but I have them flags ahead. fly forever. That's right. They do <laughs> the, uh, um, I had to put them at two. They didn't win the world series, but I had them ahead of every other world series participant and winning team, even over the 08 and 07 winning teams. Cause they were the best team, um, in the heart of the dead ball era, This team lacked power. So we'll, we'll see how, you know, that, um, uh, plays out in the simulation. But again, uh Mordecai Brown with an ERA under two I mean it's not a whole staff of guys who had two ERAs but it was good enough for 116 wins and wh- who knows we might get that World Series matchup between the two 1906 teams to see how things would play out once again now
2: finally they get their revenge yeah exactly
1: in there from the grave uh Sam what do you what do you think about the the third and I wouldn't even say arguably. I think the best team of the early 1900s for the Cubs.
0: Well, just absolutely dominant. There's there's no two bones about it. Their 7.63 win percentage which is still the highest in MLB history and the obviously the the loss to the White Sox in the series was called a major major upset. So you can see Pat, yes. Got rings, bro.
1: You know what, they didn't have rings back then either,
0: so I wouldn't even go that far. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, uh, again, when you win that many games, uh, another impressive uh, uh, pennant-winning deficit to the second-place team of 20 games. So yes, it's just a truly dominant, dominant team. Who was a real mystery why they couldn't take that World Series home.
2: Yeah, dominant doesn't pay the bills.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, now we definitely need that rematch.
1: All right, Pat, the moment we have all been waiting for. Who is the White Sox number one seed in the Crosstown Centurion and arguably the favorite to represent the South Side in the finals?
2: So this might surprise you, given the long and illustrious history of the White Sox franchise, but my number one seed is the only team in franchise history to win 100 games, and that would be the 1917 Chicago White Sox. So they, again, featured a lot of those uh, guys from the Black Sox team. Uh, like I said, only a 100-win team in franchise history. They led the league in run scores. The pitching ERA was uh, 2-1-6. That was their ERA. And they beat the Giants uh, from New York, not the football team, in six games in the World Series. Offensively, Joe Jackson, of course, led the way with a 5-8 war. Eddie Collins had a 5-plus he, he had a five plus war. Happy Felch was right under 5 The main contributor to that season though, was Eddie Seacott on the mound. He went 28 and 12 with a one five three ERA in an 11.4 war. So he was out of his mind that year. And if my math is correct, subtracting two from 35, he was 33 that year. So he was still dealing. Um, I think this team is incredibly dangerous. They got a lot of offensive firepower, but again, we're going to see how the computer respects small, the dead ball era, because that's really what it's going to come down to.
1: I'm excited about that. And, uh, complete opposite fashion if you hadn't seen this coming it's time to uh check out four eyes uh the number the number one seed for the cub side of the crosstown centurion is the 2016 team 103 wins 58 losses big part of it was breaking the 108 year curse um winning after all this time first appearance since 45 led by mvp chris bryant anthony rizzo john lester the ace they have a deep rotation in Leicester, Arietta, Hendricks, and Lackey, um, which is only rivaled by the back end of Strope, Rondone, Chapman, Montgomery, Edwards. Um, I'm expecting a deep run at the very least. Um, what would really destroy me is if this team just gets bounced in the first round. <laughs> but in any case, I had to put them at number one. Over number two because they won the World Series, broke the curses. Um, arguably, I mean... Took him a lot more games to win the World Series, but uh, got rings, bro, wins a win. We'll take it. What do you got, Sam?
0: That maybe my, obviously, besides Game 7 of the World Series when the drought ended, my favorite series might have been the division series against the Giants. That is when I kind of like truly believed, even though the Cubs had been dominant the entire year, the comebacks, Javier Baez lining one, one up the middle, him showing flashes of brilliance even in 2015 as well. Uh, That series kind of made me truly, truly believe that this could be the team to end the drought. And obviously, they can't say enough good things about them. Uh, They won the division by 17 and a half games. I've I've called out a few other teams that have had very impressive uh, kind of division winning metrics. But uh, that's also the the last time that the Cubs had a true leadoff hitter and Dexter Fowler. And the... uh, David Ross, now their manager, was on that team um, and is obviously going to try to bring the Cubs back to glory. But uh, I'm afraid, similar to the 85 Bears, that uh, a team that should have had a window open for years and years and years may see it slowly closing or rapidly closing uh, in in an unfortunate manner. But we're not here to wallow in self-pity. We're here to celebrate the one-seed 2016 world champion Chicago Cubs. You love it. So, hey, guys,
2: I, ahead, I'm Pat. sorry. I think I think my headphones cut out there for a second. How many games do they need to win the World Series?
1: They won as many as they needed to, Pat.
2: Uh, but I, th- I th- it was seven, right? Or was it six? I th- I couldn't hear quite clearly.
1: You know, it was it was seven and change. I think. <laughs> okay. The, you, okay. You know, I'm gonna leave it at that, Pat. Thanks thank, thank
0: to Jason Hayward's speech.
2: Here's we'll my, there's my pen. It's going in the notebook. Beautiful. Seven cool. games. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, no problem. See you later, Pat. <laughs> okay, so that is our bracket. Um, Pat and I will be doing write-ups on our bracketology methods and little write-ups about the team. And our new home of uh, Sports on Tap Chicago, details to come on that. We're not done just yet. I know it's been a long episode, lots to talk about. But we're really excited about uh, the Crosstown Centurion here. Um, what matchup, Pat, are you most excited about, um, just in general on the White Sox side?
2: Yeah, so I think something that I'm looking forward to, um, I think a a couple stand out to me. I think the 1906-1977 is going to be an interesting one to watch because, like I said, it's the hitless wonders against the Southside hitmen. Uh, So we're going to find out who wins power or pitching, and that's similar to the one seed, 1917 versus 2006. I think the one I'm most interested in, though, is my 1994 White Sox. I think they're the dark horse to go far in this tournament because we really don't, they're a very unknown quantity, Uh, Like you said, so I'm interested to see how they can do against some of these teams that have a little bit more pedigree strictly because they got full seasons.
1: Sounds good to me. And Sam, any matchups that intrigue you on the Cubs side before I jump in?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'll get into mine, but uh, whether you set it up like this on purpose, there's gaps on the Cubs side bracket uh, between teams of 107 years, 110 years, 99 years, and 102 years. So any of those matchups, I would love to see how they turn out. uh, Tops to me is the 8-9 matchup of the 1908 World Series winning Cubs, the last uh, team to win before 2016, obviously. And then 2015, the most fun I've maybe ever had watching baseball, uh, that Cubs team with Jake Arrieta, um, as we had walked through previously. But that's that 8-9 matchup is going to be my favorite, 1908 and 2015.
1: No surprise, you still my favorite to watch as well. But don't <laughs> worry, I came prepared with backups. It was... Actually, unintentional how these seedings kind of played out, but then I started to realize afterwards that there was kind of a pattern in that. But I didn't care because uh, I ranked them the way I thought uh, they needed to be ranked. Um, the one I'm now most excited about, besides the 2015 one, is the 1984 Cubs versus the 1885 White Stockings. That is our first uh, Cubs White Stockings White Sox matchup of the tournament, the first of two or more depending on how well the 1885 team does and i just love the idea of a 50 what 56 game winner pitching day after day after day winning 21 games and, and, and just taking this whole tournament over it will totally bring illegitimacy illegitimacy to our tournament if an 1885 team wins the whole thing and i wouldn't care one bit i wouldn't lose any sleep
2: so that, I agree kind of, with you on the cup side, that's my favorite matchup. I just, just because they're from, they're from like what, 20 years after Lincoln was killed. I
1: think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, the, the, who, who was Booth? John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> I yep. go 20 years after he got John Wilkes Booth got his leg reset, and the doctor was tried for tre. <laughs> and the doctor was tried for treason. Did this to this White Sox team, <laughs> uh, White Stockings team, I should say, uh, make this huge run? Pat, I know Dude, you have I mean, something just, to add
2: yeah I mean I just got you know I just I have this picture in my head of like obviously this isn't real because technology wasn't a thing that but you get some old Civil War veteran coming home from his his job at the sawmill uh, cracking open a nice cold Budweiser and throwing on the 1885 white stockings game on the radio so it's a beautiful <laughs> thought
1: we're you know I'm there's so many things wrong was was Budweiser around in 1885 I don't even know
2: uh, let's see I got a can
0: yeah that yeah, Christopher I actually read a book about it. Chris Bonderagy, who won, who owned the St. Louis Browns. I can't remember what the book's title is, but it was a really interesting read. Basically Ugh, the about, Browns.
1: Can't stand that yeah.
0: team. He, he, he founded, as you had mentioned, he founded the team basically to sell beer. Oh,
1: I love it. I love it so much. Like, and he's uh, in- I just love that. They, they have a business. And they're like, you know what we could help us sell more gum? Baseball. You know, like, yep. I love it. <laughs> So that concludes the quarantine edition of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where we highlighted the bracketology of the Crosstown Centurion. We will be simulating these one round at a time, um, and we will be discussing the results uh, in two-day increments, if I'm not mistaken, Pat. We don't know the exact start date yet. We want to get sponsors ready and rearing to go. Also, our new home of Sports on Tech Chicago is ready to launch. So it kind of depends on that. Um, So keep an ear to the ground. Keep an ear to the Twitter at Shoeless Goat Pod. First off, Sam, thank you for coming on and sharing yours and your father's experience in the bracket. <laughs> and I can't wait to see how this plays out.
0: Oh, it's been a blast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Of course. And Pat, the mayor, thank you for putting the work in and putting this bracket together. It's out of our hands. It's up to machines. May the best team win.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how this plays out. I'm interested to see how the machine and my brain work together because i tend to think you know around on the same wavelength but i don't know i think when this is all said and done we're going to be in for some real surprises
1: excellent and no matter what happens just remember yadi molina is not a hall of famer go cubs go white sox go baseball stay safe out there folks
0: come on baby don't you want
2: Same old place Sweet home Chicago Come on